it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. This is the Beer is a Conversation podcast, and I'm joined today by Nick McDonald, who co-founded Bucketty's Brewing Co. in Brookvale uh, with his wife, Alexi. The brewery has been in action for more than a year now, but it was a long and sometimes frustrating development process, I think Nick will agree, to get opening. And the business ended up having to make a major move from regional New South Wales to the northern beaches. In some ways, Bucketty's is a poster child for the challenges of setting up a brewery and why not to embark on a task like that lightly. In the meantime, though, uh, Bucketty's has done very well uh, for a new brewery. Very recently won a heap of bronze medals, a couple of silvers and gold medals for its five-day XBA, 80 shilling Scottish ale and peach and nectarine Berliner Weiss at the recent Melbourne Royal Awards. Uh, and they also secured a bronze at the World Beer Cup uh, for a session beer, Bucketty's Pale Ale Number no. 2. Uh, all of which is a very impressive feat for such a young brewery. So, Nick, thanks very much for coming on the Beer is a Conversation podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. No worries. We sort of got in touch, um, could, it had been a couple of years ago now, and uh, we were talking, obviously, in your development phases, so you hadn't even opened your doors yet. But tell me a little bit about um, your background, uh, what were you doing beforehand, and why you wanted to start a brewery. Yeah, it has been a little while, and I want to thank you for showing an interest in those early days as well. When we were trying to set up, I reached out <laughs> to a whole bunch of media outlets, and nobody cared except for you. So um, credit to you for being on oh. this journey with us. <laughs> oh, thank Nick, you. I'm blushing now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I do feel like I've been there through all the ups and downs, uh, which has been really nice, actually. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sweet. I mean, I'm not really a brewer, uh, and I got into brewing initially with my old man, it was kind of like something that we could do together. He was he's right into full grain brewing and has the full sort of MacGyver setup that's been done on the cheap, and we do that you know every month or two. Um, I sort of I enjoyed drinking the beer and sort of just being part of the process. Um, but I'm a, sort of a detail schmetals kind of person, so like the precision of brewing doesn't really fit with who I am. But like I love the what how beer makes you feel, and I love the community around it and the industry and all that kind of stuff so how i sort of got into you know brewing and bucketies and all this kind of stuff is i haven't or had an online business it was completely unrelated it was in the financial services industry i've been doing that for at the time about six or seven years uh, and it had done pretty well but i was working from home like in a home office by myself uh, and I, after a period of time, I sort of started to fall out of love with the industry once I realized, once we got to a certain point, and I'd sort of seen behind the curtain of how financial service industry actually worked and it didn't really fit with my values that much. So <laughs> looking for something else, and there's something that I sort of see with a lot of other aspiring brewers, like they kind of like hate their job, um, but and they want to do something a little bit more fulfilling. And I mean, nobody really... I don't think gets into brewing initially for the money because it's particularly if you're an employee, it's really badly paid, but there's a whole bunch of like great stuff, a lot of great creativity and camaraderie and, you know, just getting stuck in. So I really connected with that side of it, but I was fortunate enough that I sort of had this bit of this business journey. So I, I, I do geek out on how to build teams and how to kind of get product market fit, which is a, a term they throw around in the, in the SaaS industry a lot uh, and how to build a brand and how to get people excited about an idea and all this kind of stuff. So for probably 10 years before, I'd go to TED, you know, TEDx in Sydney and go to a lot of industry events and talk to other entrepreneurs. And um, I was part of an organization of other entrepreneurs where we kind of like hash out ideas and that kind of thing. So even though I was brand new to the brewing side of it, I did have – like to say I had a few chops in the whole business side of it before, uh, which really, really has helped me uh, in the early stages of Bucketty's. 
So cycling back, I was in a I was in a business that I didn't really enjoy um, working more or less by myself. I had a team, but they were all on Skype and on the other side of the world. My business partner over in London, so it was a lot of late nights. And what a lot of people know is old man Buckety now. His name's Roger. He's my <laughs> wife, Alexi's father, so my father-in-law. Uh, he's always wanted to live on a block of land. Like his idea of utopia is a shipping container a bed and acres of, <laughs> of trees. So he's a really simple, like he doesn't have a lot of wants in, in life. So yeah, so he's talked about having this for a long, long time. Uh, my wife and I went for a, went to a wedding up around Bucketing, a suburb called Yarramalong and just like standing out under the stars and you know, open fire and drinking some beers and connecting with our friends and sort of thought, you know, how good is this? We need to kind of make this happen. So what we did is we, Back then, land was a little bit cheaper, and we went halves with with Roger on a block of land in Buckety, uh, and kind of like had he would live there, and we'd come and stay there on the weekends. And there was there was a shed in the house that we shared; it worked out pretty well, uh, and really, really fell in love with the place. Then a couple of years later, the block of land next to it, so Buckety's full of thirty acre blocks, really sparse. There's no shops. It's 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 super rural, like proper Aussie bush back in the day. Koalas and wallabies and, you know, gum trees that you need three people to join your hands around to get like that enormous 100 metres high yeah, type yeah. stuff, probably 100 years old too. So a beautiful, beautiful block of land. And so we shared this first block, got to fall in love with the Aussie bush and reconnecting. We'd sort of get friends up there and have beers and fire and just have a good time really. Then the block of land next door became available. So another 30-acre block. But this one had 300 metres of road frontage, had quite a bit cleared already. So it had six acres cleared and had a really nice outlook. The people that were there were growing chilies at the time. And so it came up for sale. And then it was my wife's idea, actually. She sort of said, why don't we buy it and put a brewery on it and we can grow hops instead of chilies and uh, really lean into this whole buckety idea and the brewery idea because she she loves the whole brewery thing, likes beer, but also everything that the brewery industry is about, collegiality and all that. So, yeah, so we sort of stretched ourselves, bought it just as our just before our son was born um, and, yeah, went through the process of sort of dreaming what a brewery in Buckley could be. Um, and that's that was the first start of the journey. Amazing. Obviously, we've we've ticked off why you wanted a buckety, and you've absolutely sold it to me. But yeah, it it seemed after the idea, the utopian dream, uh, it got a little bit more difficult. Yeah, so it was, it did get difficult. Um, we engaged in an architect and town planners, and like before we bought the land, just take a little step back. Before we bought the land, we got some advice to yeah. see whether or not we could put a brewery on it. Uh, it's zoned rural too. And within that, you can have a, a winery and a cellar door because it's actually, it's part of the Hunter Valley. So it's got that Hunter Valley zoning. So it's rule two. You can have a, a winery, a cellar door, you can have a pub, you can have an RSL, you can have a function center, all this kind of stuff. So we've got advice, your brewery with a venue should be fine. So went about getting plans done and getting paying consultants to go mm-hmm. and sit on the side of the road and count cars for hours and check out the wildlife <laughs> in the middle of like it cost we we spent a lot of money um because i didn't really know what i was doing too so i just trusted the consultants so like i engaged a town planner that was familiar with northern beaches council to advise me at 350 dollars an hour which yeah it racks up like our bill actually for his services alone just the town planner was seventeen and a half thousand dollars by the time we got to the end of the journey. Um, so yeah, so what we did is we tried to do it everything the right way. Like it's thirty acres, we got about five neighbours. We went round to each neighbour, explained what we we're going to do. Um, sort of got their in principle support, I guess. Then did a big open day where we invited the whole community down, free beer, free barbecue. Here's the plans. You know, it was nothing but positive feedback that we got. It was sort of, sort of left feeling pretty good. Uh, so then we put the DA into council and the DA came back, the town planner called me and he said, 
great news. Nobody's um, objected to the to the DA, and I thought, oh, that's amazing. So, and then mm-hmm. five minutes later, he calls me. He's like, oh, mate, I'm sorry. I was oh, looking no. at the wrong DA. It was actually everybody's objected. <laughs> so, they sent eight letters out, and we got eight objections. What were they all about, though? It was everything you can think of um, from environmental impacts um, to traffic to mm-hmm. they're worried that people are going to wander into the bush drunk and then walk through to their property, um, even though they're like the neighbors are not close, like they're at least 500 meters, if not kilometers away. But, but I mean, what it, uh-huh. what it was anyway, reading between the lines, there was about five or six people in the community, so not even immediate neighbors. We had objections from people that lived five, ten kilometers away. And what they've done is like, like, I think, this is just my opinion, I think they've gone, we don't want any developer, here's a city slicker that's come in, just wants to do what he wants, and we're going to make sure that it's knocked back. So they went in and like dug into absolutely everything. Like I said, all of these weird little requests. But the thing that killed it was the usage. So like I said, it was in rural two zoning. Yes. And a brewery is technically a light industrial use or an industrial use. So there are other breweries that have been approved in rural areas under the agricultural produce usage. Now you're turning grain and hops into mm-hmm. an actual product, so it's agricultural produce. What happened is the state government actually tried to make life for breweries easier to get approved back just before we put our DA in, and they defined artisan food and drink premises as being permissible in a light industrial zone. So that means if you're trying to go into a light industrial zone, it's like easy because you fit right inside the council's box. It's nice, you know, easy is probably a bad word to use X. Nothing's easy when it comes to council, but it um, is easier. But what that did is it actually changed the definition of a brewery in the council's eyes to be artisan food and drink, which is technically an industry or an industrial use, and an industrial use is not permitted within a rural zoning. So that's the like the crazy thing. We can we can grow the hops and we can grow the the grain. And we can sell the beer. We can put a pub up there, probably with poker machines, and sell the beer, but we can't actually turn the raw product into beer on site. We'd have to take it off site to be able to do that. Um, so, yeah, it was a really – it was a long journey to sort of get to that no. Yeah, it was it was really frustrating. So I learned a lot. Long and expensive. Yeah, very expensive, <laughs> very expensive. So, yeah, um, so we got to know. But after all that, we didn't even get a, yeah, you can do something smaller. Like I got to a point where I was trying to think of some other way, like the guys from Voyager Craft Malt, Stu helped me out. We mocked up plans to put a, a, like a malt house there so that we could, you know, Mm -hmm. technically grow the barley and grow the grain barley, malt it on site and brew it on site. So it was truly an agricultural use. Like we, went through a whole process of working out how we do that. And we had a plan. So I went to council. I was like, no, look, it is an agricultural produce industry. I said, nah, it's not. Sorry. <laughs> oh, God. So, oh, that yeah. is so frustrating. And it's interesting because the issue seemed to be that the New South Wales government thought of microbreweries as like a specifically urban city phenomenon rather than, you know, a, a business that can be, built and developed anywhere and it's really interesting in that a lot of industry folks uh, in the past couple of years I know the uh, former chairman of the IBA Pete Phillips he suggested that um, you know the growth of the independent brewing sector would come from regional and rural areas rather than urban but this seems to be a bit of a roadblock um, so what do you think of that is is this it has this made it basically well not not impossible but really difficult to set up in New South Wales yeah absolutely yeah, and like the council acknowledged that they, this isn't the intent behind the zoning change. Like they actually really want breweries and distilleries and wineries and like that whole, that drives a lot of tourism. So the, there's a big disconnection between what the local councils want and what they can actually approve when it comes to breweries. Yeah, so as far as like the growth in the industry, I think, I mean, definitely you see, you know, I'd say friends with Gavin who's from Brutique who sets up a lot of breweries and he uses our brewery actually as a showpiece 
to, to sell his gear. Um, so he tells me a lot of stories about new breweries popping up. And it seems like every week or two, there's a new brewery popping up in a country town, uh, which I think is awesome because I think like breweries are now the new new pubs as far as you go and you connect with the community, but they're a little bit more wholesome in that everything's done on site and you're really connected to the process and, and you get to know the people that are actually making the beer and selling the beer. So, yeah, I, I think it's definitely that's a gross. It. And not necessarily pokey friendly either. Well, no, that's it. I think that's a huge difference. Like the poke machines, I think, are, you know, scourge of the earth really. It's um, They rob from the poor to <laughs> give to the rich. And I know breweries do think of that as well. Like they don't need them. That's it, yeah. And I think it's a reason that, you know, like breweries are starting to become popular because it's kind of it's like what hospitality could be. I think po- pubs and that have become so dependent on poker machine revenue. And I can understand why they push towards the pokies because they just make so much money. Like if, you ha- if you're looking at a business from a purely profit-centric perspective, then you'd put a lot of effort into making sure you can get people in there playing the poker machines because you sell, you make, you know, a lot more money off people pumping 50s into a poker than you do selling pints. Um, so it's understandable that pubs have moved away from the actual hospitality thing, um, whereas breweries are showing, I think, everybody what hospitality can actually be and how authentic beer, food, like an entertainment um, is really what people are after. Absolutely. And it was not the end of the dream, uh, despite the fact that we got knocked back uh, in regional New South Wales. Uh, So then we decided on Brookvale. So what made you decide um, on the Northern Beaches? What what appealed to you about it? Obviously, there's a lot of breweries there already. So you kind of know that people there are, are used to them. I guess that helped. Yeah, definitely. So we moved down to Kirkwell. So I was living in Forestville with with Lexi at the time. We'd been there for sort of 11 years. Like the original plan was to do a bit of a tree change and head up to Buckety and kind of like live there um, while we're doing the brewery. With that dream kind of <laughs> trashed, um, we like well, we need to move because we had a new kid coming. We only had a really small place. It was over three levels. Like the bathroom was on the other side of the house, and it just it didn't really work for a small family. So we started poking around to see you know what else was out there, and found an awesome street in Curl Curl on the beaches. It's really family friendly, and yeah, so decided to move down here. And while we were down here, uh, I went to a brewery around the corner from me seventh day. And I hadn't heard of these guys. They'd been in existence for maybe a year. And it was just like a weeknight and it was absolutely heaving. Like this beer brand that I'd never heard of, I'd only lived five or 10 minutes down the road and I was into craft beer and all that sort of stuff. And this, this little brewery is absolutely pumping with people. And I was like, man, there's something here. Like there's the fact that it could be so popular. I'm, I like to think that I'm kind of like connected to that scene and I didn't know about it so that shows you how much demand is out there for it that um and seventh day are good because they kind of like they're the first brewery that I'd been to certainly in beaches anyway that had put a lot of effort into the venue so it was a nice warm space to be in um it's kind of like 50 50 brewery venue a lot of other breweries that I've been to they are brewery first and then the tap room is whatever space they've got left over just chucked in the corner Mm-hmm. Um, so to see Seventh Day do a really good job on the hospitality side, I was like, wow, there's, there's definitely something in this. And that, that prompted me and Lexi to start having conversations around, oh, what if we what if we got something small in Brookvale? We started off like looking for little 150, 200-meter sheds around Brookvale. And that got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then this building came up on Orchard Road that was substantially bigger than what we were looking for. But it was it was a cool building. Like it was, had a, like a pitched roof. It was low ish ceilings. Like a lot of breweries you go to, they really like eight meter ceilings, often concrete. Um, they don't have a great feel to them and it's hard to make a big concrete box feel good. So this one had a bit of like a, you know, a bit of an organic feel to it. And it had a bunch of roller doors too. So it was, had two straight accesses, had quite a big block of land. And cause it was low clearance as well, the rent was a bit lower. If you're going to rent a big concrete box with eight or 10 meter ceilings, the rents are high. Uh, this has a low pitched roof that you couldn't do distribution out of or anything because it was too low. 
but it was perfect for us. So, so yeah, we, um, we basically signed ahead to agreement with the owner, um, and started getting to work on the lease. And that's when like, we had a few more dramas. You want me to tell you about those dramas too? Yes, please tell me about the dramas. I think it's really important to talk about them because like people think, oh, it'll be a breeze. Everybody loves a brewery. Uh, even in a place where there are lots of breweries, a council might not necessarily be that amenable to you. Um, they might understand better what a brewery is, but not necessarily always going to be easy. Uh, and yeah, as I say, Bucketees for me has always been a little poster child about how hard it can be uh, to get even the brewery over the line, let alone actually operate and exist as a hospitality business and as a manufacturing business when you open. Um, even before that, it's hard work. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. and I, like, I confess I fell into the same trap of like, man, there's breweries everywhere. It mustn't be that hard. You just <laughs> you just give it a go. But um, even in the right zoning, it was a real challenge. Like the initial challenge actually wasn't around council. It was um, so back in January 2020, we signed the heads of agreement. The owner took a while to get the lease prepared. But as soon – because I knew – having gone through the whole council thing before, I knew how long this kind of stuff could take. So as soon as I signed the heads of agreement, um, paid like a de- just a holding deposit. I got to work on the DA. So we turned the DA around in maybe three or four weeks, which is pretty quick. Like you think about the number of consultants you have to to corral as traffic and environmental <laughs> and acoustic and waste, um, about six or seven of them. And often they're busy and, you know, they come and have a look at it and then they'll take weeks. So I was like, every day I'd, go, all right, who can I hassle today to try and accelerate this? And yeah, so I was, I was actually a little bit proud of myself for getting this DA in as soon as possible. Because also when you're renting a building, it's like the, the clock's ticking, right? Like in Bucket, it was a little bit different because we owned the land. It was, there wasn't so much time pressure, but in Brookvale, like we rented this massive building um, and we had zero revenue, like most like all other startup breweries pretty much. So every day that we weren't open and pouring beers, we were losing money. So yeah, so anyway, we got the DA in and then COVID came along around March, March, April, and I still <laughs> hadn't got the lease in a yeah. thing that I could sign yet because the owner was taking so long. Um, and it was pretty much the week that we were due to sign. And the whole world, this is the week where you'd see like streams of people outside Centrelink and kind of like it was a massive fear in the world. So I sort of said, look, I'm not going to sign a lease when I don't know what's going to happen here, but I'll keep doing the DA and, um, you know, I've still got every intention of doing the lease, but you just got to give me a bit of time. The owner was pretty cool. Um, he said, yeah, fully understand. Uh, let us know when you got some certainty around it. And in my mind too, I confess, I thought I was being a little bit clever. I thought, well, you know, this is COVID now. Everything's going to shit. So I still want to do it, but I bet you I can get a better deal. So I'm going to I'm gonna sort of string this out a little bit. <laughs> you know, is that sweet? I've actually got a, a short-term tenant that can go into the place um, for a few months. So how about I put them in and then, you know, you can go in after. I was like, yeah, sweet. Sounds good. I'll keep doing the DA. I'm still not going to sign the lease yet, but you can go, put your short-term tenant in there. And then in my head, we get sort of, close towards the end of the year. Hopefully COVID was starting to dissipate and I'd get a better deal. The next day um, after the short-term tenant had gone in, Lexi was walking past the front. There's a coffee shop next door that she goes to and the short-term tenant is in there like jackhammering up the floor and bashing out walls and she just calls me and she's like, I don't think these guys are here short-term. So, oh, shit. So anyway, I got on my bike and rode down there because it's close and there's no parking in Brookvale. And the guy on the jackhammer, I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? And he's like, I don't know. Uh, we decided to take it for 10 years. So, um, yeah, I don't like he wasn't the boss boss, but he basically said that we've taken the property for a long time. So, I don't know, sort yourself out or whatever. Um, and my heart fell like I it was – like that moment was absolutely awful because – We'd had, you know, that would set us back a year if we couldn't get this building. Fortunately, the short-term tenant hadn't signed the lease. They just started negotiating, so they're putting an offer forward. So what ended up happening, we ended up getting in a bidding war 
um, with this short-term oh, tenant and God. paying substantially more rent, losing our rent free um, in order to secure the building. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that was a bit oh, of pill no. to swallow. But I'm glad we oh, did. Like I, I remember going to a meeting with the owner. Um, it was basically going to be my, my case to plea because this other tenant was a substantial tenant. It was a tile shop with 14 outlets, um, and, you know, it's from a financial risk from owner's perspective, they were a much safer bet. Other than, you know, it's just little old me, the startup ruining your dream and no experience. Uh, mm-hmm. And the owner actually did, he decided to go with me, um, partly because I paid him more money, but <laughs> but also the fact that he was willing to take that risk was, was good. So that was a huge relief when he, when he did that. And I was signed the lease, stuck the lease by sticker up and, um, yeah, started continue to beaver away on the on the DA because it was in with council now, and that's when they started mm-hmm. to to look at the application and see if it fits and all this kind of stuff. And that's there's a whole bunch more dramas around that. But there's a couple there's a couple of stories that really stick in my mind as like mm. how is this even possible? Like there was <laughs> parking and traffic, and that's often an issue when speaking to other breweries. Uh, and we were actually going through our DA process at the same time as Dad and Dave's who were directly opposite us on Mitchell Road. So they'd moved from Chard Road to Mitchell Road, and big facility. Um, and was, I mean, it was great. They were really supportive. We actually shared some of the consultants, like the acoustic consultant, like he just put his microphone between our two buildings and measured it that way and both saved a bit of money. So it was, it was really, it was, they were very supportive. It was great. Um, but the, so they were going through the DA to get a tap room for 100 people. Um, so were we. So 100 people each. They had five car spots. We had five car spots. Tr- we had the same town planner. So the same consultant, these highly paid, sometimes incompetent people. <laughs> um, they were rep- representing both of us. And the same traffic consultant. So the same consultant that was representing both of us on the same DA for the same usage. Mm-hmm. And the traffic team from council came back and they approved that and Dave's for a hundred people. And then they came back and they rejected ours. Oh, and I was what like, was their reasoning was like, What's behind going on that? Here? Well, this is it. So then I organized a meeting with my highly paid traffic consultant, town planner, and sort of said, what's going on here? Like this doesn't, this doesn't make sense that they would reject us and approve that. And my town and planner said, yeah, council are funny like that. That's the only <laughs> feedback I got. Wow. Went, Did you smack your head against the wall? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So then I dug into the LEP and looked at the other DA because with Northern Beaches Council, you can see everybody's DAs. It's really transparent, mm-hmm. which is great. So looked at the way that they were structuring their parking plan and that sort of stuff compared to ours. And it turns out that our traffic consultant was including the outdoor area as part of the lettable area of the building and the council bases the parking ratios on the lettable area. So it's oh, not it's got nothing to do with right. how many people you have in the place, it's how many square meters of tap room and for every I mean it's just stupid. It's for every that twenty square meters or yeah. I'm making up numbers, you need one car <laughs> spot and because we had all this outdoor space like, mate, just cut out the outdoor space and then we've got less lettable area and then we need less car spots. He was really reluctant to do it, but he did it and then they approved it. So <laughs> the, it was great, but it required me to yeah. be a traffic consultant, town planner. Yeah, exactly. So there's that and then the other, other one with council that sticks in my mind just quickly. So actually Dad and Dave's DA as well, they had a, a turpentine tank or something in there underneath the ground from a usage, you know, decades ago. And council freaked out and they're like, oh, you need to go and get that tested. And it cost them a lot of money, I think. They had to get people to drill and do all this kind of weird shit to prove that it wasn't going to contaminate the beer or like everything, really. But so Dad and Dave's had this issue and then council looked at ours and they're like, oh, we think you've got a turpentine tank as well or a fuel tank or whatever. Like, mm, I really don't think we do. Like, there's nothing there. And so, oh, we're looking at plans, and it looks like you do. So, you need to go and get an environmental report. Went and got an environmental report. This guy comes around and starts, you know, drills holes and gives me this report for it was 70 pages. It was massive. It cost $15,000. Uh, to pr- there was no, no tank there. 
um, but what the report re revealed is the council were looking at the wrong address, that they were looking at the building over the road that had a turpentine tank. Oh. Um, and <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. You know, but then when you sort of say, hey, you oh. made a mistake, they're like, oh, yeah, but it was an industrial use. You know, you still needed to get that done. Oh, my hours, God. Yeah, that was a... That is like this is a time too, and money was just flying out the door. COVID was still very much in every, front of everyone's minds and it was locked down. Yeah, it was a it was a frustrating time. But anyway, Absolutely. we got there. And on the funding part of like how did you manage that? Is it all self funded? How did you keep chucking money into this or is there a huge minus number somewhere at a bank um with your name on it yeah well it's i mean it's self-funded so mm -hmm. we basically remortgaged the house and put money took money out of it as well out of the house like i we had some savings but we didn't expect it to be as expensive as it was so yeah we we basically went into debt for it um yeah yeah it's a simple that's question <laughs> simple answer <laughs> no that's great and and i mean i guess that sort of leads me into like what you would advise other breweries that are looking to set up obviously you've had quite a lot of challenges you probably know all the planning and build issues like the back of your hand so you'd probably be the best person to ask um you know what what would you tell them at a brewery looking to set up yeah i actually i get asked this a lot because i got a blog on our website where i said detail in preparation for this interview, I was reading back on some of my blog posts and it's back to 2017, back to the early, early stages of the whole idea and sort of reading through my thoughts back at that time. And the biggest thing that I tell people that reach out is like, don't trust consultants, um, that nobody cares about your brewery more than you. Um, and when it comes to council, like it's not, you got to fit in that box, but there's a bunch of different ways you can do that. And you really need to understand what council wants and what are they trying to achieve uh, and don't argue with them. Just try and find a way around what they're requesting. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, so really understand the zoning, spend days trying to work out, geeking out as a town planner to understand the zoning and how you can get your brewery to fit. Obviously you need, you do need a town planner to, uh, do your statement of environmental effects and then just give a little bit of guidance. But like I've now put a couple of DAs in, like we put one in to increase our taproom capacity and also just recently for a big event that we're holding and I'll get a town planner. Like we've got a, a good guy locally now that can give some guidance and he'll do the statement of environmental effects, but I put the DA in myself because what that also means is that the council are contacting me. Like one of the traps I got stuck with the other useless consultants was that they would charge me every like so the council would call them to say oh we need we need this document signed and then the consultant would send an email saying here you need to sign this document and then the consultant would charge me fifty dollars for three minutes of work to do that <laughs> like, like like there was so many little fees like that that accumulate up to thousands and thousands of dollars and then also you're also not talking directly to the person that's that's making the decision so yeah, get to know the the council, the person that's got the D, the count, person in council assessing the DA. Um, council won't really give you any yeses or noes. They're all very vague in they don't give any advice, but you can build a bit of a relationship with them. Um, so yeah, I, that would be my biggest takeaway. Awesome. Yeah, and I think that is an interesting one as well. Like like you say, nobody's going to care more about your brewery and getting that over the line than you are. And it's also good, um, for, as you say, for, for knowing things about it, if you want to expand, if you want to move venues, if you want to do something on a smaller scale with the local council, I guess having those relationships is really key as well. But you've been open for, ooh, is it around 18 months now? Not quite? Um, yeah, it's 18 So months how has that first year been? Uh, I know we did a one-year on um, Peace With You guys earlier in the year. So what what was what are the challenges? What would you have done differently? What's gone really well? Yeah, it's been um it's been amazing actually. Uh, when we opened, we didn't really know how it would go if people would come. There's obviously a lot of anxiety around: is this going to be successful or not? Because we put so much of our our money, but also sort of heart and soul into trying to get this thing open. So the first year was like COVID aside. Obviously, COVID sucked, but the challenges. They, <sighs> 
it was really just a steep learning curve. Like getting open was really stressful and difficult because like I said, you know, every day that you're not open, you're burning money. So we we turned around the the fit out really quickly. Like it took us three months, um, but it was like every day, every day we were in there. I, it was cool. Like I had Tony, who's our head brewer now, and Dan, and back then we had our first venue manager, Scotty. So we're kind of like all in it together, which I loved. So between my wife and us, like we were in there grinding floors and painting walls and um, just getting stuck in doing whatever it takes, like really whatever it takes to get us open and trading as soon as possible. But so by the time we opened, like I look back at photos of myself, I got my like eyeballs hanging out of my head. Like I was so stressed. <laughs> so tired oh yeah um it was funny like you and then you open and then you gotta run this like very intense basically hospitality business <laughs> the first time i work out how the fuck to do that too so that was that was hard but i don't know like doing it differently i just it's sort of part of the reason i think that we've been successful is because we really really care and put so much of ourselves into it and I kind of feel like that resonates. Um, one of the things that I did early was really try and tell the story through social media. So, mm-hmm. you know, I talked, to, did a bit of blogging in the early stages, but then before we, like when we got the keys and put the lease by sign up and all that kind of stuff, like I would post on Instagram, Facebook every day, sometimes a couple of times a day with what's happening. So people could kind of see the progress and they knew about us because I didn't really spend any money on marketing as such i just told the story as best as i could and that really resonated with people because they sort of felt like they knew the brand before we existed before we opened so that was really really powerful um like just sort of learning as i went along Um, doing it doing as much as possible myself um or using like our immediate team i think was really important even though it was incredibly difficult like you just you can't outsource soul you know you can't outsource that essence that makes your brand represent who you are and who you are as a company and a team um yes i think that's super important absolutely and i guess one of the things i've always noticed about um breweries in the northern beaches is that they do have that um, that soul, I guess, that um, X factor that nobody's really sure what it is, um, but it seems to work. And a lot, like I hear a lot, um, you know, the industry the industry is really collegiate and everybody worked together and stuff. And like sometimes that's absolutely true and sometimes it's not. But Brookvale and, and that sort of region, it does seem like um, all the breweries there are pretty close. Um, but obviously they're competitors at the same time. So how do you sort of balance that and, and how do you uh, feel being part of that? Yeah, it's I mean, it's, it's a great area. Like Brookvale's like we're blessed in Brookvale too that everything's very close. Um, you know, within 400 metres, there's five breweries and it's flat walk and there's not traffic or anything like that on the weekends anyway. So you get a lot of people sort of bouncing between the breweries. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's good. Like we all sort of know each other pretty well, get along. We haven't sort of done much collaboration from a brewing or event standpoint. It's something that we want to do, but it's just tough. Like everyone's got their ass hanging out, trying to brew beer and <laughs> sort of keep their head above water that, like I look at the inner West and that, and I sort of like, I'm a little bit envious of the the community they've got. Like, you know, when you go over there to an event, everyone's like slapping backs and high-fiving and sharing beers and that kind of stuff. And we don't <laughs> do that. They've got a few years on them though. I'll, I'll give them that. The inner West have been there for a while now. I think lots of the Northern Beaches breweries are still in their first couple of years of, of figuring it out. And, and, you know, that maybe that's got something to do with that as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're probably right. I know Dad days they've um, they've trademarked Brewvale, so I think they've got some some ideas around creating some some sort of ale trail there or something. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah I mean, we all get along, and we we haven't done any collaboration <laughs> breweries, but I'm sure it'll happen. Like we talk about doing, you know, some big festival and shutting down part of Brookvale and shutting down streets, and the council's kind of like on board with it, and all the breweries obviously are super keen for it. But it's, it takes, like, it's a lot of work. And um, yeah. I don't think anyone's really quite got the resources to do it at the moment. Yeah, put it I, on the I, list. It's going to happen, I'm sure. But, yeah, put it on the list. Now, bucket, what about bucketies then? So you're open, you're 
brewing, your hospitality venue, you're getting involved in your local community. So what are your strategies going forward? Do you Are you happy as you are? Would you distribute? Would you open another venue? God forbid. Um, what's the plan with Bucketees? I feel like we're kind of like out of the cold right now a little bit. Like that first year was just like trying to hang on and make sure that the whole place didn't fall apart. But I sort of like feel like we're kind of over that peak now. So it's got a bit of momentum like people were going to come on a Saturday and we don't need to try and convince them to come. I, that was, it's been a bit of a, a bit of a moment where I don't feel like we need to be pumping Instagram and pumping Facebook to try and convince people to get down here and enjoy the space. Cause you know, it's like the beaches is funny. There's, there's beautiful beaches only a few hundred meters away. So to convince someone to come into an industrial area and sit in the shed and have a beer, uh, it's maybe not that easy, but, it is now that we've sort of like built this scene and people come from all over Sydney really to, to bounce around Brookvale. So I feel like we're out of that intensity of like, holy shit, can we, can we stay in business? And now COVID's in the rearview mirror as well. So the next thing for us, we, we are going to put a venue up in Buckety because like I said earlier, we can put a tap room up there. We just can't brew the beer. We think we've might've found a way around that in that you can potentially don't quote me on this, but I've received <laughs> advice that potentially you can have a ancillary use. So you can have a like a pub essentially or a restaurant and have ancillary brewing, which would only be able to be sold at the venue. Mm-hmm. So we kind of got this idea to do a bit of it like a tank bar. You seem a little bit in the US, which is really cool. Like you serve directly off the tanks. and um, So just do like a little small batch stuff, maybe put a 500 lead a system up there and mm-hmm. there's also a whole bunch of challenges up there too which I'm actually really glad we didn't end up in Buckety because I didn't know what I didn't know back then but like there's no town water up there there's no gas um, and there's not very much electricity so to try and put a production brewery up there would have been really really hard so much better <laughs> and now you know it but um, yeah, so that which was, is crazy now and <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, so like that that's like the next stage for us. Distribution and like expanding the the footprint or the market share. I don't know. When we first opened, I thought, yeah, let's try and get into all the venues around the beaches and up in Buckety and you know, really try and crack the beer market. But it is so difficult to get into wholesale. Uh, and I don't think really aspiring breweries have any idea how hard it is to stock your beer in bottle shops. I think you really need a full-time salesperson to be pumping it, but you also need a brewery that can brew a lot of beer very efficiently. Like we've got a 10 hex system. We've got, we've got four full-time brewers brewing on a 10 hex system doing 120,000 liters of beer a year. Like we must be one of the least efficient from a, like a man hours perspective breweries out there on the liters of beer and the number of people employed um and you can't do that on mass scale you know you can't compete with like the big craft brands with a little system and that's not mechanized um so i think you need to have those economies of scale you need a big sales team and you really need to know what you are like we are a brew pub we are venue first we're all about having a good time and we always said we want to grow like you always got to be growing i believe but we want to be enjoying it and brewing you know shed loads of beer and sticking it on a truck and sending it across the country like that doesn't it's not really our idea of a good time so (laughs) it's not really what we want to be doing um and also knowing the margins like when we first started canning um actually i put all the numbers into a spreadsheet and i i couldn't believe how little money you make i had to bring over Matt, who was at Seventh Day at the time, and I was like, mate, these numbers look right. Like, do you really only make like 10 bucks or five bucks off a carton? I was like, yeah, that's about right. Like, you make that much off a pint. So you make the same amount out of a pint as you do out of boxing and canning and sticking beer into a case. I was like, this is bananas. Why does anyone do it? <laughs> so not for bucketings just yet. Not yet, anyway. No, like if we did do um, big expansion, it would be way way down the track the the team would have to be super excited by it i'm like i'm not particularly excited by it so if the, <laughs> the brewers and the guys in the team are like no let's let's try and step it up then 
we might look at it, but it'd be a long, long way down the track. Absolutely. Um, but you've kind of gained momentum in other ways. Uh, obviously, we talked at the beginning about um, the Melbourne Royal Awards win and the World Beer Cup win. That's pretty impressive, as we say. Um, how did you find those awards processes and why did you want to submit uh, for the awards? I mean, have you not got enough on your plate, Nick? Yeah, like, to be honest, I got to give credit to, to Tony, our head brewer. Like he's, he sort of said we should do this. And I was like, the first time we entered, I was like, gosh, it costs a little bit of money. But um, having seen the feedback that we get and the feedback's a really big thing. Like it's great to win the medals, but to get independent feedback that you'd be is actually pretty good. It's really, really important. It's particularly like it's important for me, but really, really important for Tony and the brew team as well. Cause they're like, they're super driven to make the best possible beer that they can and getting independent advice is the best way to do that. Like it's one thing for a punter to, you know, drink a beer in the tap room and say, yeah, that's all right. It's perfect beer. I'll give it three and a half stars on, on tap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> untapped which is driving me crazy anyway um, so it's one thing for that or another for like an independent beer judge to give feedback on where it could be potentially improved or maybe some minor flaws and that kind of stuff so so as a result we now pretty much enter every beer we possibly can into into awards and the World Beer Cup though that was that was epic like I think Tony cried for the first time in a while. When, when <laughs> oh, a little softy. <laughs> Basically, Tony, like he obsesses over making the best possible beer he can. Like he, he commutes from the Central Coast because um, originally he was going to join us when we were in Buckety, which is a short drive for him. But to his credit, he stuck with us when we sort of pivoted to Brookvale. And he listens to podcasts for a couple of hours a day on all things brewing and um, – yeah, uses all those techniques constantly trying to improve our processes and that and stretching himself and making beers he hasn't made before. But yeah, so he, he's really the, the guy that deserves all the credit. <laughs> and that is that must be fantastic to have someone um, that dedicated. And like how much then do, does Tony tell you what you're, what's going to be in the brew pub or you work on that collaboratively or how do you decide on what beers you're going to make? Yeah, we he gets a lot of creative control. Um, so we do like we, you know, have a meeting once a week and we're like, all right, this is what's coming up or whatever. But I'd say ninety percent of the beers just come out of Tony's brain. He's like, oh, I feel like doing a like we got a New Zealand IPA coming out this week, and last week it was a Irish Red Ale. The week before that, it was a Vienna Lager, a collaboration beer with the guys in the US that we won the World Beer Cup medals with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, we're actually pumping out. At the moment, it's like a beer a week. Uh, so, yeah, he's, I don't know, he just loves doing new different beers and I love drinking them. It works well. <laughs> so it works out quite na- well, quite nicely. <laughs> yeah, That's really exactly. cool. And it's really nice that you've got that team behind you as well because I know um, a few brewers I've spoken to, the a brewery, like owner-operators, who were kind of doing it on their own to start with, when they got that team, it meant that they had much more flexibility. They didn't have to be in the brewery for 80 hours a week or whatever, whether it be behind the bar or helping on the um, production floor or whatever. Um, now you've got a team that you can rely on. That that seems to be really helpful, um, particularly when you're, when you like you say, you've got a family, a young family. So have you had, have you been juggling sort of the demands of being a business owner being a brewery owner and also having a family because I know that is like a really tricky one and um, I've spoken to brewers and brewery owners that are like I feel so guilty you know I have to I had to stay really late um, for a brew or I needed to cover the bar or whatever the case was and it can be really hard uh, and really challenging Uh, but you've obviously got a very supportive partner as well so that helps. Yeah absolutely I do yeah credit to Lexi she wouldn't be able to do this without her support. Like the idea of opening a new brewery, being a brewery, like being the brewer, like that's the path that a lot of brew pubs go down and it's fine, but there's no way that I would have been able to learn how to brew commercially as well as learn how to open a tap room as well as learn how to run a hospitality venue. Like it's, there's just so much in it. So getting Tony on early was like super, super important. And we also got Dan who's, He's no longer assistant brewer. He's actual brewer Dan in there as well. Uh, they he was 
Dan was there helping us build stools in the early stages when we didn't have any furniture. So those guys helped build the brewery. So, you know, came in containers and Tony and Dan basically worked out how to put it all together and run it. And I didn't like get involved in that at all, uh, which was, I had no bandwidth to do it either. So it's, that was amazing. And I think it's kind of like helped in that Tony's come on early and he's had the ability to kind of build the beer brand, the recipes and all that kind of thing from scratch. I think it would be a really different scenario if I had a bunch of recipes and then I was trying to hire, bring someone to the team to brew and say, this is the beers that you're brewing. I think that that, like part of the reason this, like this collaboration works is because Tony gets a lot of creative control. And if I was trying to tell him what he needs to do, I think that, that yeah, it wouldn't, would not work anywhere near as well as it does. And Dan, the former assistant brewer, like he came in just being like fanatical home brewer and now he can <laughs> brew on a commercial scale. Uh, and he was like, he was, he was actually thrown into the cauldron during COVID just after we got locked down, Tony ripped his bicep. Ooh. So he was out for months, like literally couldn't lift a pencil, like out for months. And oh, Dan, who'd done his first brew with Tony's assistance the week before, was like, all right, Dan, you got to work this shit out, man, because if, we, if you don't, <laughs> we won't be able to have any beer and we will go broke. So I watched oh, him God. sweating like sweating through his shirt on the phone with Tony in one hand and frantically doing everything with it else with the other for the, for about a month. So it was a baptism of fire, but he did a really good job. Yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah, like back to your team question and balance. Like it's the team is so important. Like I think in any business, but um, yeah, particularly for, for Buckley's, it's, it's been super, super important. Like we've got a really good venue manager in Alex who's been with us for over a year now. And he's kind of, he's actually learning part of the brewing process as well. Like he's super keen to, to understand beer. So sort of like started giving a few brewery shifts and uh, we make sure that like the, it's not like the brew team and the front of house team. Like we kind of, we are very much all in it. And the fact that we're only, we're about 20 employees, but about five or six of us full time. We're able to be pretty tight and look out for each other. And, um, and as a result, like they kind of look out for me as well. Like Lexi or I'll jump in, when we're short, particularly behind the bar, and which does happen a fair bit, particularly with like staff shortages and that recently. But yeah, you just sort of do whatever it takes. And I think we've built a team of, of guys and now girls that are on the same wavelength of like, you just got to do whatever it takes and, and sort of trust in the process and just work your ass off and everything will be all right. <laughs> I think that's a good philosophy for life, to be fair. And w- what I really like about it is that, you know, you, you talk about Tony and having that creative freedom. I guess it's about ownership of, of that part of the business that, that's yours. Um, and in a wider sense, uh, we've talked a lot in the industry in recent years about, you know, what is craft? Is it having that ownership? What's the point in independence? Is it so that you can do what you want with your business? And I know a lot of people move into this industry because they have moved from other industries where they don't necessarily have that ownership and where they're not in an industry that reflects their values, as, as we were talking about before, Nick. Um, but what what do you think, as someone who's come into this industry from elsewhere, who doesn't necessarily have the historical baggage of like what craft is and what independence is, are these things that you consider on a day-to-day basis or do they not really come onto your radar? Is it just trying to keep your head above water, I guess? Definitely on the radar. So I like the, I got a pretty staunch view on the view of sort of independence and like, I think it's very hard. I think it's impossible really to really truly be a craft brewery. If you've got an overlord, um, like you look at <laughs> some of the businesses that have been bought out and if you're owned by Asahi Mitsubishi, then their objective is to make money. Like their objective is 100% shareholder return. There's no like, there's no qualms about that. So if you're a craft business, your overlords are driven to make money. So it's very hard to make decisions that are potentially not in shareholders' interests. And you know you sort of say, well. 
maybe you get a budget for creativity or whatever, but you're only getting a budget for creativity because the owners believe that it's going to make them more money in the future. They're not just doing it because they want to do something cool. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, like I think that like Bucketies doesn't exist to to make me and Lexi rich. Like we do it because we love it and we got no intention of selling out or making a big bag of money from and I sort of jokes people ask me quite a bit like oh you know when are you going to sell out I sort of like if we were offered the opportunity to sell out we'd probably take that money and start a brewery like we're doing what we want to be doing <laughs> we'd do it again I feel like <laughs> but with more experience <laughs> yeah and I feel like so many businesses in general are built with the objective of making money and selling out uh, and I, I don't think it needs to be that way I think that a brewery that is authentic, that is in it for reasons beyond profit, like that kind of shit resonates with customers. Like just to geek out a little bit on the business side, like there's a TED talk that I watched really long ago from Simon Sinek that resonated with me massively. And it's like, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. So if your objective is to make money, then no one's going to resonate with that. Whereas if your objective is to make really cool, interesting beers and share some good times, then, you know, they'll probably get on board with that kind of stuff. Like we talk about what we're about in Bucketies and we're about having a good time. Like we're, you know, like grassroots good times, like back in the day when you go for a beer with friends and you'd clink the glass and you'd listen to the music and you'd have a laugh and you just kind of forget about all of the stresses of the world while you're in that moment. And that's, like that's what really drives us to create those moments either in the tap room or through takeaways or whatever or external events. But that's like, we're about that, like grassroots good time stuff. Absolutely. And I think it's very ambitious to think that, um, that there's a market for small breweries these days as well. I think if you're going down that route, um, you're in for a rude awakening <laughs> from even a practical sense. Uh, yeah, so that's going to yeah. it's going to be interesting. Um, but what do you think then, having been in the industry a couple of years now? Um, where are we going? Are we going to see more and more brew pubs set up? Are we going to make a move back to production facilities? What do you think that the future has in store for the brewing industry here? Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of a lot more brew pubs popping up. Um, I would be surprised if it consolidates a little bit because um, you know it's. Anytime you get a big expansion of, of any kind of business, there's going to be some that maybe don't survive. So I would be surprised if we start to see a little bit of that. Like, you know, you haven't been able to buy a secondhand fermenter in Australia really for the last few years, but I think that might start to start to change a little bit because um, it's it's really hard opening a brewery and it's really expensive. And if, if you can't find a way to get people into your tap room and sell beers or if you can't mass produce beer at a good margin, then it's going to be tough. And like, I don't think maybe people will go broke, but they might just realize that, wow, I'm putting a hundred hours a week into this and not really enjoying it. So there might be a bit of that. Um, but I think there's, there's probably room for a brewery in every, every country town in Australia. So there's still, still probably a fair way to go, but yeah, I think there will be a little bit of, um, a little bit of consolidation over the next five years. But not Bucketees. That's that's all I need to know. Not Bucketees, no. No, definitely <laughs> not. Not Brook Valley. Either. Like there's like anywhere where there's a lot of people, I think you'd be fine. It's um, mm -hmm. trying to get people to the taproom. That's why I sort of say, you know, I'm glad that we didn't go to, to Buckety because I think we would have really struggled to, to keep our head above water up there, trying to drive people up to the venue and then spends, you know, a reasonable amount of money. Um, yeah, it's not easy. But if you've got a big catchment, you do a half-decent job and it should be all right. Absolutely. Well, Nick, I've talked your ear off for uh, about an hour. Um, so I'm going to let you go back to do your actual job. Um, but thank you so much uh, for coming on the Beer is a Conversation podcast and um, just keeping in touch with us uh, at Bruise News as well. Um I know you were saying like thanks at the start, but 
I've loved being part of this journey with you, um, even if it was purely on the sidelines as a spectator. Uh, and just to share everything that that's happened and all the challenges and stuff, it's so uh, educational and it, I think it means a lot to people that come into the industry uh, that they get that no holds barred, um, properly transparent, let's be honest about the difficulties of setting up a brewery. Uh, and, and you've done that spot on, uh, but also talked about the amazing parts of it, um, which is what we're all here for uh, at the end of the day. So yeah, thanks, Nick. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. And thanks for the opportunity. It's um, yeah, appreciate what you do. And I I read Bruise News religiously a couple times a week and see what's going on. So you guys are a yes. great resource for, for industry information. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Nick. Um, well, I'm sure we'll talk to you very soon. Um, and I'll, I'll keep nagging you regularly anyway. So, <laughs> but yeah, thanks again. All right, cool. Thanks, Claire.